Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I'm still a medical doctor simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. Thank you so much to everyone who came out for the ACE conference last weekend. It was wonderful to meet so many of you in person. And thank you to those of you who reached out who saw our live stream online. It's just so great to connect with people. I loved it. We had such a great time, Chelsea and I. We have a recording of the show that I will be posting as a bonus episode for you to enjoy. That'll be coming up in the next couple weeks when I, you know, get around to editing that stuff after I rest for a long time. My guest this week is Stephen Walker. Stephen is a wonderful Australian actor who is a self-proclaimed, I think he said seventh or eighth act actor. He's had a myriad of wonderful careers that have helped influence his acting career. He has been a police detective with the Australian Federal Police. He's been a career coach. He's a dad. And being a dad was actually pretty formative for him switching into a career in acting because his son loves to act and was like, Dad, why aren't you doing this as well? (laughs) I remember something very similar happening to me when I was growing up, my mom going to get her master's degree and saying, you know what, I had to get my master's degree before Janet did. (sighs) Anyways, Stephen has a wonderful story. He's an absolute gem of a human being. Please enjoy the hilariously wonderful Stephen Walker. Queensland is warm. But yesterday we had a, a picnic. We're really close to the beach here. We're 500 metres away, 400 metres away from the beach. And we we sat there and you know, just drinking some tea and just watching as humpback whales were breaching. And on, on their way down south, they've come up, they've done their breeding, they've got their calves with them and they're now heading south. And just watching with, with binoculars, just watching these full tail slaps, like a dozen at a time and full breaches. And so it's like, wow. Oh my God. Wow. Does that have, is that like a, a usual occurrence around this time of year every year or is this a rare sighting? No, nah, annual, annual event. For us, for us though, living in this house, it's new to us um, because we haven't been on the coast previously. Oh, that is so cool that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Just fantastic it's one of those like surreal moments where you're probably like like is this real life i can't believe i get to witness this mm. that is so cool and mm. i think so much now especially with you know the pandemic and everything being virtual we're so like in our screens in this little environment here thinking this is the world but then you see something like that this is the world like, nope i am tiny and insignificant <laughs> Yeah, it, that's right. The world is just going to continue going. The humpbacks are going to continue to do their thing, whether or not we get a call back. They don't care. They've got better things to do with their they time. They don't care. That's right. So, yeah, tell me your story. How did you get into acting? My story, because I'm, I've, I've kind of added it up, and if I drop a few things off, I'm probably a seventh act actor because I'm the kind of guy that, takes on a job or a role or a challenge because it is challenging because I don't know anything about it and I will say I wouldn't mind trying that but you don't know anything about it yeah let's do that one and so I've done a lot of 
a lot of things. And sometimes it gets embarrassing because people some I I fear sometimes people think I'm making this shit up because it's like but but weren't you didn't you do that? Why are you saying you've done this? So my my intertwined acting multiple act story goes back to the 70s and making Super 8 movies in school as an 11-year-old. Back when you when when you filmed and you had 3 minutes and then you took it to the pharmacist and it went off and a month later the film came back and you could then watch it and go, "Oh, that was all out of focus." Okay, <laughs> take two. Um, but, but I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But I was very much an introverted kid and terrified without a, a, a supporting family and had no idea how do you do this acting stuff and just, other than knowing that I was too scared to actually do it. I went to a school. It was an all-boys school. Um, but that meant it was all sport and we, we had no drama. There was no drama in our school. There was no, nothing. So the closest thing was making movies. Uh, but knowing I was too scared, I went behind the camera. I started script writing at the age of 12. And I'm pretty sure they were really awful scripts. I, I can guarantee at the time they were fantastic. Um, so I started script writing. I started um, doing all sorts of, of things as a, as a mid, mid-age teen going along to um, – Playwright weekends of being introduced to writers. I I did. Uh, I got a, a, we call it work experience where where at around fifteen you go out and get it attached to a business for for a week or two weeks and learn and just watch. So I got on film sets as a as a fifteen year old and and um, I loved it. I was in my final year of school. And I was coming up to my final year of school and I wrote to a bunch of TV channels and said, I like to make films. Can I work for you? It was as naive and stupid as that. Uh, and one of the TV channels in Sydney, uh, the news department phoned me up one day, a couple of weeks into my final year of school and said, do you still want that job? And I said, yes. They said, well, come in for an interview. Uh, simple as that. That's... <laughs> That's how we did it in the eighties, right? And so, uh, <laughs> and and so, I started work as a as a um, a sound recordist and a, an assistant camera operator um, for television news in Sydney. Got to travel overseas, did amazing things um, as a as a kid. I got to uh, covered the the Prime Minister of of um, India's assassination uh, in the early eighties. Um, and traveled to New Delhi as a, like an 18 year old or something like that. It was just insane to be doing that sort of stuff. Um, and so I did that for a bunch of years, a whole bunch of years. And, and, you know, that's one of those things that, that now as an actor, I'm eternally grateful for because I, I know how to work with a soundie on set. I know what they want. I know what they don't want. I know what you shouldn't do. I know, I know what the lighting tech wants and know what you shouldn't do. I know the size of a lens that the DOP is using. And it's helped me no end now, having done that work so, so long ago, um, even though the equipment was fairly ancient. Uh, so a few years, a few years later, this is when I, I either succeed in a challenge or a job or just get really bored. And I actually got really bored. I actually got really bored because I, I looked across one day and saw, because it was news, and I saw that I was 
I was early 20s, and I was covering the same court story in Sydney as another guy who was in his mid-50s and thought, oh, I can't do this for another 30 years. I've got to, I've got to change. And so I went back to school. And I put myself back to school as a mature-aged student um, and uh, I've got, got the qualification and uh, thought, well, what, what would I like to do? What's something different that I covered of my time in television that could be interesting? And I went, ah. Oh. And so I joined the, joined the federal police. Um, and became a, a cop. The federal police are much more like the Canadian Mounties or a sort of a blend of the FBI and other things. So it has a federal coverage and a very small local uniformed side of things. Um, and so that was fabulous. And I got, I went through recruit training and was spat out the other end and went into a drug response team in Sydney. And then it was discovered that, um, because of my time in television, I was the only person in the AFP that actually, the federal police, AFP, the only one that actually knew how to use professional video equipment that could be shot professionally and therefore used in an evidentiary capacity in court. And so I got whisked back to Canberra and I ended up being the guy that um, whenever there was a suspicious death um, or a, uh, uh, a motor vehicle fatality in Australia's capital territory, so our, our version of Washington, um, I was there and I, I, I filmed it dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times over, over years and, and filming autopsies and you name it. Um, and still to this day, I can't seem to get cast as either a cop or as as uh, a forensic pathologist, it just it just doesn't work. A cop mainly because of my height. I'm I'm um, 165 centimeters. So what's that? Five foot five. And in most casting directors say, "Well, no, you're not tall enough to be a cop." I said, "Yeah, but I, but I was." And, no, <laughs> not for TV. Well, just tilt the camera down a bit. You know, look up. <laughs> so I, I don't seem to be able to jag one. I keep getting cast as priests, oddly enough, which is just a very, a very, very strange sort of typecasting. So anyway, um, so I did, I did the police for a very long time. And then I moved from police into more mainstream um, public service or civil service and ended up um, working in international aid and was a diplomat for a number of years in, in Thailand. Uh, and my, my youngest was born in, in Thailand. Um, and, uh, you know, despite his blonde hair, he still believes he's very much, very much wedded to his Thai heritage. But, um, the, uh, uh, from there, I moved into the world of human resources, weirdly enough, and, uh, ended up back at the federal police and this time in, at running human resources. I had about 2,000 staff working for me across all myriads of human resources um, and ultimately then left and consulted back into, the, into, the, into government and um, did career coaching, that sort of stuff. And it was while I was a career coach that my youngest son, the one that was born in Thailand, he was doing some acting. And we were driving back from a shoot in in Sydney. And I said, oh, look, I don't want to be a stage dad. 
I just, I need you to tell me if I'm pushing too hard. I just didn't, I always wanted to act, told him my story. I think he was about 14. Um, I don't want you to miss out, but I also don't want to push you. I said, okay. Then he said, so why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it now? And so me, the career coach, just looked just like, yeah, piss off. Uh, and so... <laughs> And so, you know, by the time I'd gotten back home, um, I think I'd had a couple of conversations with my wife to, to say, you know, Tom's right. Why? I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that ends up on his deathbed with regrets. I don't want to be the guy that says, you know, I just would have loved to have done this or, you know, none of us should go to, to the, our deathbed and, and wishing that we'd spent more time in the office doing, you know, terrible work for somebody else. And so I, I was in a position that I could start to just wind down that consulting work and go, okay, acting. I've got a slight insight from decades earlier and a slight insight from helping my son navigate the world of agents and, and sets and casting. Now i got to do it. Um. The little bugger beat me. He got his. He got an IMDb credit before I did, as it turned out. <laughs> Curse him. But um, so, uh, and so, yes. Yeah, so, so since that point, which was probably um, six years, he's just turned twenty-one. So yes, yeah, so it must have it must have been seven years ago. Um, that uh, I've started to. Just I've, I've just dialed it down and lifted everything up, and now I now it's the only thing that I do. Well, that now and of course yeah, I can't just I can't just sit still with acting, so I do voiceover um, and do a lot of uh, back to back to my roots of twelve year old screenwriting as well. So which is very exciting at the moment. I um, la- last week I picked up first place in the um, uh, New York City Midnight Short Screenwriting Contest. So I was pretty excited about that. It was my first ever um, competition to, to oh, enter. So that's going great guns. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. My my uh, my topic my my not topic my genre was um, political satire. And I, I got the assignment: political satire set in a uh, in a um, in a dairy. How, how the hell do you do that? <laughs> anyway, it worked. <laughs> it worked. So yes, I'm doing doing all manner of things now. So it's a very long and convoluted journey that that got me there. But but here I am, and just loving it. That it's what an incredible story. Like <laughs> I love the fact, and I'm laughing, and I know you've probably done a lot of laughing that you've done. You were a legitimate career coach, and it took your son being like. Hey, why aren't you doing the thing that brings you passion? That's right. Well, you know, it's that it's that whole idea. You know, plumbers have leaky taps. It's just what, it's what happens. Doctors are the worst patients. <laughs> That's right. Go to go see someone about a doctor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so true. So okay, so that was about you said about six years ago. That kind of the pivot turned. Yeah, it it, it must have been six or seven. Six or seven. I kind of lose count. Um, because at my age, the weeks go very fast. <laughs> what I really liked, what you said what, right at the beginning was talking about how, you know, the challenge of something new. I definitely resonate with that. And I think what I find is the biggest, 
and I don't like to use the word burnout because I think we use burnout as like this like big buzzword these days. But the biggest thing for me that made me realize I needed to start learning something new was when I made the realization that it's the learning that I like because the learning is what brought me to medicine, right? I love school. I love learning new things. And when I was getting antsy and not realizing, I'm thinking, why am I antsy? It's because you kind of get that seven-year itch in whatever career life you're in. And it for me, it was because there was no new things to learn. Or yep. I just wasn't motivated yep. to learn new things anymore. It was just getting stagnant. Yes. Well, I, and I think that's it, it goes to one of the similarities to me between any of my other work that I've done and acting. And that is that if you – I believe that in any, anything that you do, that if you're comfortable and you're cruising, you're not growing. You're not growing. And for me, that means boredom. And it's – I. I believe it's the same with acting. And if, if you're cruising and it's like, oh, yeah, these, these, these are easy. Oh, I, that's, that's a snap. It's a breeze. Then uh, maybe you're not learning. Maybe you're not challenging yourself. Maybe you're not pushing yourself to take the risks that you need to. Um, and it's uh, – the my, my wife actually found a, a, a quote today, which I absolutely loved, particularly – I've got to try and remember it now. And it was um, – it's – and I've, oh, I've lost it. Of course I've lost it because I'm going to write this down. And it, it was well, – it's really relevant for second-hour actors that it's don't be afraid to start over because this time you're starting from experience. And it's, it's – it just – it really resonated with me and it's – and in some ways probably my momentum of change in my careers accelerated as the years went on. Um, because those early ones were more challenging because they were starting from scratch, from nothing, no experience behind them. But as I've gone on, it's a case of, well, there's a lot of similarities in this job to what I've done previously, and therefore that's going to be easier. Now I can come at it from a point of experience and still learn and apply what I have know and grow. Uh, yeah, I, that um, was a big... A big realization for me as well, too, and it's funny because now that I've realized it, it makes me feel kind of silly that I didn't realize it before. But yeah, the idea of starting a new career or a new whatever later on in life doesn't mean starting from nil. And the fact that you've had success in whatever way, shape, or form in your other careers before likely means that this one will not crumble either. Because you're not a crumbling type of human being. You've done it before. You can do this. Yeah, like you may need to redefine what success is if you're like... Well, I, and, and that is one of the challenging things. Because in, I, I believe, anywhere else except possibly anywhere in the performing arts, there are measures of success. In any other job that I've had, there is a measure of success. There is also a measure of what I need to do to get to that next level. I know what I need to do to get promoted to that level. I know what I need to do to get that job at a senior level and that pay over here. I know what I need to do. It's defined. There are role statements um, in a true sense, not a character role. There are role statements. It's written down somewhere. There are regulations on what you can do and what you can't do and so on. And then you come to acting and go... <laughs> 
There's, there's nothing. We're all making this shit up as we go. Everybody in the sector, everyone from casting directors to producers, like, ah, what are we going to do this time? There are no rules. Go to one casting director, they'll tell you the definitive way to get cast. You go to the next casting director who has a completely different definitive way to get cast. And this one, and this one, and this one. It is, there is, there is nothing. And I think that's what, in a sense, is what makes me laugh and keeps me motivated is there is no secret to unpick here because there's, everyone's keeping their own hundreds of secrets, unlike every other profession on the planet that actually has a code. We're making shit up as we go. I find it funny. But it's also the one of the biggest challenges between here and there. You know, what is success? I think I was listening on one of your podcasts recently and it was someone was talking about the fact of, well, what is it? Because it also then goes to the addictive nature of what it is we do. What is it? What success? Is, is it that I've got that co-star role or that extra role or that guest role? Is it the fact that I, I'm just thrilled that I can be playing this character today in a workshop? Is it what, what? What is the success? What is, for, for most of us, and most of us is not going to be, you know, it's not that Oscar. It's about something else. It's that opportunity to to pretend to play a character, even if it's just in an audition or or, or a rehearsal or something. That what is? There's no industry level of success that I can pin on. Um, so there's no benchmarks. So I'm just going to make it up. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I've I, yeah, so much, so much to say, right? I totally agree. And I think where, because we're all making it up as we go along, because that's what it is. That's what the industry is, right? The, the whole joke of like, we never know who we want to play the role until we see them. That's like, that is the base of our industry. And that's the foundation that everyone works off of directors, producers, the writer, casting. So we need to do that too. This realization of 99.9% of the time, they don't even know what they want until they see it. And you're like, great. They're literally making it up because that's what it is. And you're like, super. Yeah. So if validation comes from external, where literally no one external knows what the hell they're doing, we need to find that validation and deem success somewhere within ourselves, which sounds so hokey-pokey, but we have to. There's nothing else to do. There's literally nothing else. <laughs> exactly. When you when you have no benchmark, you've just got to create it yourself. Do you find that, because most of your other careers, like you were saying, well, in every career, have these benchmarks, what do you do to kind of keep yourself motivated? Because that can be really frustrating. I know my logical brain gets very frustrated when there aren't, you know, check boxes to check. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when I when I switched off the other work completely, I said, right, okay, so here we are. In my studio, not this one, but another one. Um, and I said, like, okay, so for me not to go stir crazy – and just accidentally default to sitting in front of Netflix and binging and pretend it's research. Um, I ne- what am I going? What am I? What do I need to do? And I need to. I, I if if the industry can't give me the benchmarks, I need to create some benchmarks, and I have to. I give myself some daily benchmarks. So I came up with a list 
and I came up with a list of things and I laminated it because once you've laminated something, it's, it's there, it's permanent. Yeah. Uh, it's permanent, that's right. Uh, it's like a consultant. You've got to laminate your, your costings and what your charge-out rate is so that way it's real. Um, and so I, I had things in there. So what, what was it? And I wanted to look at this this new career of, of acting as as holistic. And so what was I doing for my mind? What was I doing for my body? What was I doing for my acting, my craft? What was I doing for my career? And so the the, the sorts of topics might have been, you know, was a, have I meditated today? Have I um, exercised? Um, but then the more important stuff, have I read a script? Have I learnt some lines? Have I done something, put something down in front of the camera just to play, even if it was just for microphone testing or for lights or something like that? Um, what have I done? Uh, what have I done for my the career side? So, what, my my branding or my um, headshots. What have I done for my casting sites? What have I tweaked? Have I have I written off to a casting director to say, "Hey, this is my latest thing. How are you? Great. Since what have you been doing since the last? Whatever it might be, that's focused on career." And so I religiously did these things every day to get them into a, into a position of of um, habit. And now I don't I don't need the list because I have so many things in my day that I that I work on or play with and and just keep keep going. Um, and I find things to, to motivate me. I'll, I'll, I'll do things like, like, um, self tape may, um, for example, that, that Audrey does, but I, but I take it to the next level. I, I, I did, I did 32 tapes in, in May. Um, so I, I push myself to those things. I've, um, so third year running, I'm in the world monologue games and I'm in three categories now that they're just kicking off. Uh, I'll do things like script writing now and enter them in, in competitions, um, and so if it's, if there's nothing, if there's nothing there, I can't wait, can't wait for things to come to me. And that's, that's kind of been my ethos anyway, across, across all of my work. I create them or make them and chase them really. Um, and that's what keeps me motivated because if I sat here waiting for my agent to call about the auditions that aren't coming, um, then you'd go mad who would do it <laughs> who would do it so i you know if if i'm not if i'm not actually out there working and and actively being a working actor then i'm in my studio pretending i'm a working actor <laughs> for a lot of people so to, like habit building, right? Like we talked, we know medical school, we learned about this. To build a habit, you have to have like a reward. <laughs> there has to be a reward there. You know, whether it's something as silly as like, I will brush my teeth every night because the reward is like clean teeth. For to build a habit with an, with an acting, you know, a lot of people and my brain when I was hearing what you were doing defaulted to the reward is financial. The reward is I will be making money in the future as an actor, being a working actor because of all of this. That's the reward of building the habit. But that's not guaranteed. Like that's not the reward it can be. So like on like days when you're like low, as it happens with everyone and you're not real, like it can be frustrating. What do you feel like within yourself? Like how do you reward yourself with the habits that you're doing? Sometimes for me, it's 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 defaulting to it's defaulting to the um, that original list, and it might be as we were talking earlier, it might be just being able to to walk 
a few hundred metres and sit down at the beach and just enjoy the pleasure of humpback whales jumping out of the ocean and just sit and just think this is what a fortunate, fortunate life, whether I'm acting or not acting. Um, and I, d- I don't know whether that answers your question. I also live vicariously through the rewards that so the, the rewards I get from my two sons who are professional circus performers. Um, and uh, so my youngest, you know, he was dabbling with circus and dabbling with actor and acting and stuck with circus. Um, but um, my eldest is, is currently on a plane on his way um, back to Australia from Berlin where, where he's been performing. And um, I, I feel just so immensely proud of being able to have two boys that I've been able to instill the same ethos, the, the, the ethos about um, don't have any regrets and, and enjoy life and do what you want to do. Don't do what other people want you to do. And so both boys in August, um, their troupe opened the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, and, you know, one was 20 and the other one was 23 at the time. Um, and they're doing what they love and they're getting standing ovations every night and someone's paying them to be in another country and explore and enjoy the world in this post-COVID environment. Um and they're just they're just loving it, and so sometimes to me, practice maintaining the ethos that I do is important because it still sets an example for my boys that you can have this life, and it can be really rewarding in the performing arts, um, even if it doesn't pay consistently or it doesn't pay well. You can still have this life in the performing arts. That's. That's just lovely, right? Like, and it's, I think, I think we don't, I think we forget how important legacy is, right? In whatever way we define legacy, children, or just the people we impact around us, right? Like, that's, yeah, that's, that's lovely. Has there been anything that surprised you about the entertainment industry? In virtually everything I've ever done in my life, I've had control. (laughs) And I'm yet to find it in this industry. I don't. I don't look. I don't have the control. I don't know who has the control. I'd like to meet that person and say, "Hey, can you share a bit of that control?" It's like I. And so it was a real surprise. It's like surely, surely there's you can. No, you can't. Okay, is can you? No, no. It's just it's completely at the whim of someone somewhere in the lap of the gods. And so all you can do is just take notice of the things that you can control and you can influence and you, you can, you can control and influence that first impression on a, on a tape or in the room. And this is a real similarity, particularly coming from a, from an old career coach into the acting side of stuff. The, the job interview is the audition and they both have that same principle and that is the people behind that desk have made up their mind in the first nine seconds and and if you haven't got if you've lost them in that first nine seconds be it an acting or be, or be it a job interview you're not going to win them back it just doesn't happen and i've interviewed i've been on the interview side of things hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and it's 
And yeah, it is. It's how they come through and sit down and talk and you go, oh, don't like you. And then you can't win them back. And so that's, it, it is identical. There's, there are a couple of elements that are absolutely identical with stuff that I've done before. Not so much the policing side, but other things. And, uh, an audition. It's quite uncanny, but there's a lot of things that are different. Like control. <laughs> yeah, tell me more about the similarities you've noticed from your other careers that you're now able to pull in from acting. Well, one of the one of the things that I was doing a lot of as uh, a coach, uh, this is years and years and years before um, uh, COVID, was um, helping managers and helping teams with um, building resilience, team resilience. Um, particularly, I think a lot of it was the uh, post-economic crisis of 2008. There was a lot of it happened across the world, um, not just in the private sector, the public sector as well, and government, where um, if everyone was cutting back, people were losing their jobs, teams were being decimated down to small numbers, um, and uh, the first the first department that I went into, it was a we had a conservative government at the time, and the first agency that this that the government axed was surprise the Department of Climate Change, and so I I was brought in to help teams that were being decimated in that, and teams that go through that are going through grief, they're going through loss, doubt, they're questioning the classic grief cycle of death is the same grief cycle of of um, throughout our lives. People go through the grief cycle when they retire, when they change jobs, when things change. It's a grief cycle. Uh, and so I built a whole body of work around around supporting people um, when they're not getting external recognition, when, they're, when they are um, not getting feedback, when they're being rejected, where they need resilience, where fight or flight is coming into play, where where negative self-talk is bringing people down, where people are reacting rather than thinking and stopping and responding and so on. And then I've come to acting and it's like, oh, 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 well, that's this is all of that stuff on steroids because it's not just a team that might feel this once or twice a year. This is actually people that go through their day-to-day existence living this stuff. And if people from from certainly some of the stuff that, that I was learning and I was working with people on, particularly around, uh, you know, organisational stress. And if you actually – the body's designed, as you would know, the body is designed to actually have moments of stress. We need it. It, it gets things firing, cortisol happening, adrenaline happening, all sorts of things are happening, but we're not meant to stay in that state. We're meant to come out of that state. And there's a reason – there's all sorts of reasons why if we get a, to deliver a, a speech in public that we feel sick, it's because, you know, the the, the cortisol – is happening and we're feeling stress and the body's saying we're not going to digest now, we're just going to focus on this fight or flight thing, like look around, where's the bear, where are we going to run from? Um, our immune system is compromised um, and, and all of these things happen. And, and of course, in an interview and in, a, in a, an audition, the brain only wants to make a decision that says, do I run, do I fight here? I'm not, you know, if I want to actually talk about the... Um, uh, the the profit yield in a given quarter, that's not going to come in an interview. And if I have to remember my line and when I actually have need to hit my mark and turn, but I'm shit scared because the cortisol is happening, it's the same thing. And so um, I've found that I've been able to provide that, that insight for myself as well. Um, and w- 
one of my, one of my old resilience um, workbooks that I put together, sort of hand picking, you know, pop psychology from all over the place around this stuff. I adapted for actors to actually get out to actors that I know and say, hey, this sounds like you might be getting, you know, it's a lot of ne- negative self-talk I'm hearing. Have a read of this. Have a look at chapter, you know, or not chapter, it's not that big, page 23. Um, and so what's real for the real world out there, real world, the the other working platforms um, around stress, resilience, well-being, mindfulness, is doubly so for acting. And I've, I've found that fascinating because I had thought I would be able to come into this world of acting and it would all be unicorns and butterflies and everyone would be happy. Because <laughs> that's what it looks like on screen. But no, no, that's not correct. Yeah. I love, love talking to people about that type of thing because I work in – Sports medicine, which, you know, 99% of my patients aren't like elite athletes. I do have elite athletes, but 99% of them are, you know, kind of weekend warriors, repetitive strain injuries, chronic pain. And it's the same thing, right? Like if you're in a society that constantly promotes high levels of stress, as we have, your body is constantly producing inflammation thinking that it needs it needs to heal these wounds that the bear is going to inflict on you, right? But there is no bear. There's going to be no tissue trauma. But our stupid brain doesn't know that. We haven't evolved enough yet. So we've got inflammation coursing around our body, which produces chronic pain because we're in constant levels of stress because our society is like, this is, you need to hustle, 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 hustle. And, and, and we feed that. We feed it. Yeah, exactly. We, 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 we feed it. We, we take, we take, uh, um, an anti-inflammatory pill to try and fix that. And, um, we're, we're tired and we're tired. So we drink caffeine and we eat sugary foods and we wonder why we're, we're, awake at night and we're trying to catch up when we go to bed. So we're on our phone and it's keeping us awake because we're not getting the, the triggers in our brain to say, go to sleep. Um, and, and with all of that inflammation, you know, cancer rates go up. Um, it, it, gastrointestinal issues go up. Stroke goes up. Obesity goes up. Um, problems, you know, um, it, all this, the sexual plumbing, uh, it, seizes up everything and it's the same or as i i believe it's actually more intense in in the the um our industry than it is in mainstream industry i'm not surprised because because of how i think um because it's there's no control (laughs) right there's no control there's no control And if you don't have a way to give yourself, like you were, we were talking about earlier, in, internal validation and internal control, then it's just, yeah, overwhelming. Well, an accountant can work in one organization and not like that organization or get bad feedback or be very stressed. And then they can apply for a job and become an accountant in another organization. And they're still an accountant. But an actor's an actor's an actor. Where are they going to go? <laughs> So they, they, we're stuck in, we're stuck in that loop. There's no, I don't want to say there's no, no escape because it sounds terrible because we all still love doing what we're doing. Despite all of that, we still love it and we're drawn to it. We're drawn to it and we're addicted to it and we don't want it to stop. Just give us more. 
what is it for you about acting that keeps you here? Like, what was the love back when you were a kid? And what is the love now? I think one of the things I'm probably a bit of a heretic here, because I've, I've spent, I don't know, like all of us, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars doing all manner of courses because I felt like I've needed to play catch up. Not coming through the film school, I need to play catch up. I've got you know, 30 or 40 years to catch up here. So I, just, I need to spend some money. I need to invest some money. Um, and again, it's a bit like the talking about the casting directors. This is the way that you'll do it. There's every guru out there and there's big name gurus out there that a lot of big name celebrities use as their gurus. Um, and I, I don't, and not a lot of it resonates with me. And it, it may be because of having second act life experiences that it's, it's, it's not about, to me, I find it extremely easy to pretend to actually have an imagination. Um, you know, what, what if, okay, that's easy. Um, so I don't know. So, the, I mean, the thing, the thing for me that keeps, that I just enjoy the most is it's just that it is about pretending, not being so completely invested, not being so completely invested in a, an audition or a callback. Um, that's, I must have this. I really want this. I need this. It's, it's really about, and I did hear this from a casting director once, since every audition's a chance to be that character and pretend just for a moment. And maybe you get a chance to come back and pretend to be that person again and then do it again on a regular basis. But if not, you've had a chance to pretend and you've had fun and maybe they've remembered you. And so I don't, I try not to get too caught up in putting everything on the line for that one role or that one gig. I mean, yes, there's been lots of things I haven't got that have just been fantastic to have gotten. But at the end of the day, um, I got a chance to play in that space. Um, and I'm not 100% sure that I actually answered your question. <laughs> that is literally the answer to the question of how do you get rid of the cortisol? There it is. It's play, right? It's play. It's when we were what we were like as children when we didn't like it's play and it's imagination and it's it's exercise, right? It's the modern day f we're not going to fight the bear. We're going to flee from the bear in a beautiful creative way. <laughs> Do you have any favorite moments uh, in your acting career so far on set, auditioning, or anything like that? Look, one of my one of my favorite moments. It, it hasn't been released. It's it's a Jim Henson movie that's meant to be released this year, and I've and I haven't seen where it's at. And I I do play um, I I I play someone that needed four hours in the makeup, four or five hours in the makeup chair every every morning. Let's put it that way. Um, and then one one morning, um, the director's assistant, so, uh, so his personal assistant, just rocked up as I was sort of halfway through my makeup. Said, "Oh, has anyone spoken to you about um, your lines today?" Now, this these particular this particular role, there was myself and there was five others, and um, they were they weren't speaking in this feature film. They were heavily in this feature film, but they weren't speaking. And she said, what, has anyone spoken to you about your, your lines today? And I said, my what? <laughs> what lines? She said, oh, the, the director 
um, it's got there's a scene for you that wants you to um, they, they take these lines. You're going to be working with the dialect coach, um, and so we'll see you on set in ten at ten. And um, uh, and so it was. I I was playing um, like a um, a creature version of this other character who had been in multiple scenes. And I needed to be able to match his voice and accent at pace. This particular nuanced British accent, I needed to be able to match it. Um, and we spent all morning just matching it, talking really fast, as fast as you possibly could to be able to talk, but in a really, you know, oh. And so we we actually get onto we get onto set, and so I'm heavily in my makeup. I've, there's, I've got false teeth in. I've got um, creature contact lenses in. Um, I've caught the main, the lead in a big fishing net. We're on a on a platform. There's a camera looking up. Um, I've got to be wrestling him to the ground, delivering my lines at pace in the accent and sounding like the other guy, even the lines that I've just got about an hour or two beforehand. And not only that, but my five other creature companions were piled on top of us. And 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 <laughs> so then we did the first run through. And I'm just there, I was just focused, like, I've got to get the words out, I've got to get out of speed, I've got to make it happen, I've got to and not embarrass myself. And they, and they said, yep, great. So, Steve, what you've got to be doing is you've just caught him, so don't forget, you've got to have some movement. Oh, yes, I've got, I forgot my movement. Yes, let me get my movement in there. And then, and then I couldn't quite get the line out. I was like, oh, my God, this is just going to go bad. And I got the line out, and we got the line out, and we got the line out, and then it was just like, you know, magic. Director said, "Nailed it! Perfect! Brilliant! Thanks." Moving on, and so, oh, and so I, I mean, I've had lots of other speaking roles, but it was something about this one, and just again the challenge of saying, "Can you take these couple of paragraphs of text, do it in an accent, do it fast, make your voice sound like the other actor?" And do it within the next couple of hours because we're on set while you're in your prosthetics and your false teeth and your <laughs> anything. So it's kind of like I I have kind of thought of that. What is a what is a measure of success for me? Going back to the, our earlier conversation, and and that one that one scene, even though I haven't seen it, and we all know it could well be dropped. <laughs> doesn't matter. I did it. <laughs> And do you think it was your prep, not just on the day, but everything you do in your business career as an actor, the laminated sheet that like you're prepping, yeah, like made you confident that you could do this? I think two things helped. Um, the thing that I have enjoyed, and I, I believe that it's we we know to, to keep. To keep the brain elastic, it's in 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 older people. It's do sudokus and crosswords and things like that to keep things going. To me, the best way to keep your mind active is learn lines. <laughs> you know, learn lines. Just learn lines for the hell of it. You know, learn lines. I'm pretty good at at being able to learn lines pretty fast, and so the preparation that got me into that scene was the ability to get off book pretty fast. 
um and um sometimes depending if the writing is good it's i'm i'm off book very easy if the writing is shit no amount of effort is going to make me resonate with what's being said there because it just is bad english but anyway so this was good this was fine english um i also do a lot of accent work with my with my voiceover um world and a lot of gaming um a lot of audio books that require different accents and so i've i i work on my accents and that helped even though this was not an accent that i was 100% familiar with it was still in that nuanced british accent style to be able to to be able to to get into that space and talk a little bit like that even though it's not an estuary accent it was still something like that so you can get in there quite okay not too hard so it was a, I was able to do it. So in a sense, those two bits of preparation that I'd been doing for years helped me on the day. Mm. Plus also that idea and some of the techniques about resilience and trying to, you know, I did my, my Amy Cuddy power stance before going in there and did all the, all the things that you do to go, okay, breathe deeply, be mindful. Okay, here we go. Ah. <laughs> all helped. <laughs> It's, 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 it's like running a marathon, right? Like I think the muscle memory is there if you work on getting the muscle memory to be there. And I think we don't, we don't, we, we, the global we, um, I think don't think of creativity in the same and prepping for that the same way we think of like, again, like training for a marathon. Cause I think acting looks so nice and easy. But it's you got to train it. Otherwise, when you get on set, it's just going to be overwhelming. Absolutely. And I think I love that resilience piece. You've got to train with self-tapes. And you've got to train to be able to do a callback on Zoom or an audition on Zoom. You've got to be able to know how to do it. There's no patience anymore. Yeah, the beginning of 2020, there was patience. We didn't really know how all this stuff, Zoom wasn't really, everyone was Skyping and now suddenly Zoom is there and it's like, oh, we, okay, we'll have some patience. 2022, no one's got any patience now. You either nail it in your self-tape or you nail it. You know how to set up, you know how to do sound, you know how to do lights, you know how to edit it properly, you know how to do a slate. And if you don't practice it, then, you know, it's it's not going to be there. Nothing prepares me for a self has prepared me for a self tape more than doing thirty plus self tapes in May, because it's like yeah I can I can just stand up and just you know it's it's not robotic, but I can learn a script fast and I can put it down and go bang, bang, bang. I mean it helps I've got a permanently set up little self tape studio. I mean it's a cheat. It's always there. I don't have to move furniture out the way like a lot of people have to do. But I think that's the that's what where we can hang some where we can get our claws into some control right where we can try and figure out yes how can we make this like another job with benchmarks it's that right those yeah. are the benchmarks those are the things that you need to check off in order to be successful at the career you need to get a degree to become an accountant you need to be able to have a self-tape studio available to you boom on a whim to be a successful actor there's the control we can kind of yeah. go yay Yep. And certainly what I find, and anyone I speak to says exactly the same thing, your chances of a self-tape increase the further you are away from home. Yes. And yes. <laughs> Go on vacation. You'll get tons of 
live auditions. I, I think it's the casting the casting director's law or something says. And so it's not only have something set up at home, but have something that's with your kit that 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 is mobile enough that you can go, ah, not a problem, um, and smash it out. I mean, I can't tell you how many self-tape requests that I got while I was on set doing the stuff and I'm all in my prosthetics. It's like, you know, I really – I cannot do a self-tape now. I can't just sneak out of the – in. The, the back of the trailer and do a self-tape here. I've got to wait until this crap comes off at 2 o'clock in the morning. Then I can do a self-tape. I don't know how many it was. It was a million of them. And I was I was staying – I was hours away from home, so I had a little portable set. But you've got to, you've got to have the portable kit. You've got to be ready. Opportunities come to the prepared mind. That is the professionalism, right? That means you are – you're taking it seriously as a job. You don't have to, right? You don't have to do that if you don't want that to be what you deem success in your career. But if you want that, do it. You have to. It's an expectation of this job. Yeah. Do you have, you? this has been filled with advice, but do you have any other um, other words of wisdom or advice for somebody thinking about changing careers into acting later on in life? Only... What are you waiting for? What um, and it, and it's it it comes from that space of don't regret it. Yeah. Don't regret it because because um, anything can happen and don't put it off. I've seen too many people that have said, "Yep, I just kind of finished this. I'll just give this another five years and then I'm going to enjoy myself or I'm going to." Well, it might be retired, not might not be, but I'm going to I'm going to do what I want to do, and then I've seen too many people just drop dead, mm-hmm. drop dead of a heart attack or or um, a, a stroke or whatever it might be. Um, you you can't you can't leave it. You owe it to yourself to actually be true to your own needs, and um, you know. Find a way to make it work. It's not, it's not selfish. It, it's, and yes, I, there are times, and I, I feel guilty because I'm not bringing in the income that I used to bring in, and and <laughs> it's that's changed. Um, but you, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. And I, and I, I say it to, I, I see a lot of young actors who are doing it because they just have this burning passion. But behind them might be a family member or a whole family that says, that's fine, but you need a degree in something. You need to have a plan B. You need to have, you need to have, you need to have. Where's the money going to come from? And I'm not as, you know, as I was saying with my boys, we, we're, not, we're not people that push a plan B. Because I feel that if you have a plan B, it too easily becomes your default and you lose sight of what it is that you love. You miss that opportunity. But it's never too old. It's never too late. You're never too old to to do it Um, at any age. Any other final words of wisdom? As um, thankless as it seems sometimes, you've just got to keep going because it's 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 a bit like you've got to do it because you could be dead tomorrow 
You can't give up because the big job could come tomorrow. Don't don't pull out. Don't pull out because you don't know what's around the corner. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on the dream. Just just keep going. Keep going and enjoy it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Stephen, for being my guest this week. Thank you so much for sharing your story all the way from down under. Everyone, go check out Stephen's social media. Check him out on Instagram. He is killing self-tape May. Last time I checked, I think he was at 19 self-tapes for self-tape May. Stephen, you are crushing it. Thank you again for joining me. I so appreciate you. I hope you will all tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye!